This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. All right, so hopefully you found 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, when you hear these things, you're going to swear you just heard them, and you did. <laughs> because you understand how this works, right? Uh, hopefully you pray this way that we all be on one accord speaking the same thing. You know how we do that? As we are led of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're about. And so we want to give place to God to speak to this ministry. And we want to come out of Second Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse number 6. This is Paul. As he writes this letter to Timothy, he gets to this point, he says in verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his Appearing. Now I'm going to back up. I'm going to start at verse number 6 again. Because I know a lot of times how we hear, we read through a verse and okay, 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 let's get to it. No, let's take our time through this. Now what I like about this is the personal pronouns that are used throughout this passage of scripture. Because this is a personal thing for Paul. He says, for I, I, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at Hand. So you hear the personal pronouns there? He says, I am I. I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7. I have fought a good fight. And you can say it this way. I don't know about you. But Paul says, I fought a good fight. He says, I have finished my course. He says, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me. Because I fought a good fight. Because I finished my course. Because I kept the faith, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Does that do something to you? Just think about that. You get coronated by the Lord who brought you. So he says, I don't know about you, but I fought a good fight. I don't know about you, but I finished my course. I don't know about you, but I kept the faith. And so because of that, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. But he takes this turn here. He says, and not to me only. He said, don't get it twisted. I'm talking about me, but this shouldn't only be me. But not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. So he goes, now, this is my testimony, but I shouldn't be the only one. In fact, what he's saying is, if you love his appearing, you ought to fight a good fight. You ought to finish your course. You ought to keep the faith. It has already been pronounced to us by our pastor. We need to be a church of finishers. Translated by Paul, we need to be a church that loves his appearing. And so, make up, up in your mind to be finishers. Now, what we're going to do in this teaching is we're going to show you how to be a finisher. And we're going to use Paul as the example. We're going to learn from his life. Now, one thing I want you to understand about this statement, we're going to concentrate on, I have finished my course. Now, the term finish, I know you understand it means complete, but I want to make sure you understand, as Paul uses it, he didn't just skate by. He didn't just make it by the skin of his teeth. He's saying, what I had, I completed in an excellent Christ-like manner. I gave it my all. I left nothing Else, I've expired myself to see that this is done. 
See, I finished. You got people who finished school, but they barely made it. No, he's not talking about that kind of finishing. No, you had an assignment given you, and you got it in. Just had a cram to get it in. He, he wasn't cramming. He's like, when I, when I received this, I ran after it, and I gave it my all. Put all my energy into it, all my effort into it. And I performed it in an excellent Christ-like manner. So, church, in order to finish, it's going to sound funny, but it's not funny at all. In order to finish, you have to have something to do. That's number one. You have to have something to do. Otherwise, you don't have anything to finish. Then number two, then you have to get started. (laughs) And number three, so you have something to do, get started. Number three, then you have to maintain. You have to keep it going. And then, you have to, number four, you have to be able to close it out. And by that I mean have it in good shape to continue on without you. Again, Paul is our example. Paul is writing this to Timothy, not saying, hey, I'm done, so it's all done now. Nothing else to be done. I'm the be-all, end-all. I don't know what you're going to do from here on out. He's like, no, no, it's time to close it out. In other words, I'm departing, but this work has to continue. That's finishing. Oh, and and I love this because his idea of finishing is to have it in such a condition that Timothy doesn't have to start all over again. So to finish, you have to have something to do. You have to get started with it. Then you have to maintain it. Then you need to close it out. Have it in shape to continue on without you. Now, you've heard it said. There are many people who start. Starting is so good. And starting can be so exciting. But then there's the main thing. What was new yesterday. Yesterday is so yesterday. It was new yesterday. That was yesterday. And then we have issues maintaining. You heard it said, many start. And then some of that many go on to continue. And then, even fewer around for the finish. See, I I said that these notes were penned in 2016. There are many people that were here in 2016 that God was ministering to that are not here now. And and I want to tell you this. Between start and finish, if there's a break where you do not finish, there's a term. And it's called quit. Church, let's be finishers and not quitters. Again, Paul says, I don't know about you, but I finished my course. So to finish, you have to have something to do. You have to get started with it. Then you've got to keep it going. You've got to maintain it. Then you need to close it out, have it in shape to carry on without you. So that, that's finished. Now he says, I finished my course. So what is my course? Listen up. What is my course? I'm going to give you ah, five definitions. Here's what he means by my course. My course is the task given me by God. That's my course. It's the task given me by God. Number two, my course. I want to explain this to you because I'm going to say this as if God was saying it. Number two, the thing that must be done. Did you catch that? I said it as God would say it. Because he says it, a lot of times we don't necessarily agree with what he says. Because his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So sometimes we have a mind of what we need to do that is contrary to what God says needs to be done. But God has a course for your life. And that thing needs to be done. Now, I advise you find the course, which is God's course, and get off of yours. Because you can be busy. But in the end, God is going to say, did you finish my course? You get that? You see, because the day will come. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? 
Didn't we do great works in your name? He says, yeah, you were busy, but I never knew you. You must have been doing the wrong thing. So my course is a task given me by God. My course, according to God's will, is the thing that must be done. Number three, my course is God's will concerning my life. Number four, my course is the ministry of God that I am called to work. And I have to stop there. I really do want to quickly get through these as quickly as I can, but these are all for the point of putting the focus on God. A lot of people like to say, my ministry. And I understand, but I want to make sure that you understand. It's really not yours. It's God's. That he's allowed you to work. I'm not trying to change people's terminology. I just want to make sure you understand. See, my course, it is the ministry of God that I am called to work. It's God's ministry. Never forget that. See, because you have to answer to somebody. See, when you think it's your ministry and don't have the proper understanding, you do what you want to do when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And that's not right. And I will say this, you know, uh, again, why can I move forward? It's all good. People say my ministry, and I want to make sure you understand this. Again, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And a lot of times what we call ministry is what works in our favor. And it's convenient for us. And we profit off of. But the will of God is not accomplished. And so we've got to be careful about what we call our ministry. Because remember, there's a thing that must be done. And if you call something else that must, that must not be done, the thing that must be done, oh my goodness, you're way off. Now, here's one of the, I can't get into this. See, this is another message in itself. But here's one of the things you need to understand about your ministry, which is the ministry of God that God calls you to work. It will always involve your local church. See, but we've got ministries out there where, where our church, or there's not a local church involved. In fact, we separate from the local church. Local church doesn't benefit. Local church doesn't grow. Local church is not edified, but we call it our ministry. I'm, I'm telling you right now, that's not. Let me get through this. My course is a task given me by God. According to God's will, it's the thing that must be done. It is his will concerning my life. It is the ministry of God that I am called to work. Number five, it is my God-designated path. It is the path God has called me to walk. It's my God-designated path. Now, number six is not really a definition, but... I need to put it in here because we need to understand this. It always will include your purpose. My course is not, can I say it this way? It's not necessarily your purpose, but it always includes your purpose. Let me tell you, as a believer, we all have the same purpose. What's the purpose? As many as he foreknew, he preordained. That we should be conformed to the image of his son. What's our purpose? To not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I want to make sure you understand there is no course for you outside of your purpose. So again, this is why you know, people want to say, this is my, my ministry is to make music and make money off that music. That's what we say. But how's your life? Because, I, oh my goodness, you know. And sometimes we do have misunderstandings. But a lot of times we live any kind of way, doing any kind of thing, and put God's name on it and say, no, 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 no. And here's another thing that ha happens with what we call our ministry. It moves us away from the church. That's not right. See, see we want to be balanced. See, we want to... Be able to say, as Paul said in that time, and again, just as it was 
ministered to us on last Sunday. He's not saying, I'm old and tired now. I don't have anything else to give. Brother Martin, oh, man, why can't I keep going? Remember I said close it out, have it continue on without you? Now, now here's one of the issues is that sometimes we wait to get on course until we give all that we have to the world. And we can only go so far until there's no more of us to give. Because we're tattered, torn. <laughs> Let me talk to you that are younger. Finishing my courses for anybody of any age. <laughs> Let's keep, I believe that will become apparent as we keep moving forward. So that's my course. It's a task given me by God. It's a thing that must be done. It's His will concerning my life. It's the ministry God has called me to work, allowed me to work. It's my God-designated path, and it includes my purpose. And understand this. Your course, the course that God calls you to work, is critical to His plan. It's critical to His plan. That's why it's considered the thing that must be done. And understand this. There may be other things that I would like to do, other things that seem right to do, but they are not critical as it concerns God and His plan. And where I fit in. You get that? There are a lot of things out there that can occupy us as believers. Keep your ribbon there in 2 Timothy. Let's look at this in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. There can be other things that you would like to do, things that seem right to do, but are they the thing God has called you to work? Acts chapter 6, verse number 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. I want to tell you that's wrong. That's wrong. When some people are neglected, when everyone is supposed to be served, that is not right. Okay? Verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Oh, did you catch that? He says, now, now it says here that some, something that was not right was going on. And here come the elders. The elders say, we're not going to serve tables. And now, many of us would be offended. Many modern day churches, you're supposed to take care of us. Well, well in all honesty, they will take care of them. But you've got to respect, everybody has their course. The twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Why? Because our course is with the word of God and not serving tables. So we're not going to leave the thing that must be done to do what seems to be right. Are you following me? Ooh, I want to go some places with this and I don't have time to go, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get here. So, so some of us like to put a lot on, on our elders while we sit back and are not involved at all. And we want them to take care of it all. And the th do you understand the thing that must be done, you benefit from? The thing that must be done has eternal value. And so they're saying, we're looking at eternal value. You're talking about serving tables. Which would you rather us do? Spend time with what God has graced us to do so that you have an eternal benefit from? Or feed your belly? Verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you, seven men, of honest report. Oh, I can go places with this. I can't go there now because we're not to that point in this teaching. But I may have to come back to this. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Oh, I can go there now. I'm, I can go there now. I'm sorry. I can go there now. See, they say, now, you deem that this is something... That it's not right. And we agree it is not right. But we can't do it all. Certainly, there are people among the congregation 
that can put their hands to this work. Certainly, there are people. We know what we teach. We teach straight from what we received of the Lord. Certainly, the people who are receiving what we are feeding them, which is what we receive from Him, certainly somebody can handle this business. See, this is what I like about the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the focus, but there's work there for everybody. And the only ones who didn't work were those who refused to work. And they had a name. And they were called out because they refused to work. Church, we've got to be finishers. And you can't finish if you never put your hand to the work. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I want to let you know this. This is them maintaining. This is them saying, we know our course. We started it, and we are not getting off this road. We're going to stay right there. Oh, but, but other things are going on around you. Well, well, certainly, God is not only dealing with us. Certainly, God is dealing with somebody else out there. And we don't have to do it all. Verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. See, the elders had a course. And they weren't getting off that course. Even though making sure that there was equity in the serving of tables is the right thing to do, they had to consider. Yes, it's right to do, but that's not our course. But there are other people in the, among the congregation who can be trusted. Oh, my goodness. Can you be trusted? Is that the issue? Is the issue that you have not put your hands to the work because no one can trust you with the work? I don't think that's the issue. I believe we have a congregation of trustworthy people. Put your hands to the work. Now consider this. You being on course and finishing your course prevents somebody else from being overloaded. Now we're not this way, but in too many churches they want the pastor to do it all take care of it all. They want all the elders to take care of it all. But they got their course and you want to free them up for that. You want to free them up for that. Did you hear me? You want to free them up for that. God forbid that we ever have to have our pastor on a secular job. <laughs> Interfering with the thing that must be done. And who benefits? We do. Don't you ever complain about honoring your pastor. Don't you ever complain about giving double honor to our pastor. You benefit in the long run. Now I said this earlier. I'm say it again because this is where it is in the notes. Everyone does not have the same course. But every course comes under God's single plan of redeeming man. That's where they all meet up. The end of God's single plan. God is a focused God. His focus is on your redemption. My redemption. Oh my goodness. Look at this in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Everybody doesn't have the same course. Because I want you to understand. Well, well, John chapter 17. This will help you understand. John chapter 17, verse number 4. This is Jesus. Speaking. The Son speaking to the Father. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Do you understand that you are a member of the kingdom 
Because somebody finished their work? And do you understand that the end of all the work the guy gives out is somebody is redeemed. Somebody is saved. Somebody is snatched out of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his beloved son. Chains are broken because God has given an assignment and somebody finished it. Wasn't a quitter. Started and kept it. Now here's the thing about keeping it. We heard it last. This course is an obstacle course. And there are obstacles all up and down this course. The devil is not going to make it easy for you to finish. But great is he that is in us. Who gave us this assignment. Who will grace us through it all. You can make it. Consider him who endured a great contradiction of sinners against himself. He finished. And because he finished, I can say I am free indeed. Oh, I love this. I I love this so. Because you need to understand God worked a plan so that you could get saved. He had a plan so that you could get saved. But in that plan, people had to hear his voice and obey They had to see their course, and they had to get on their course, and they had to get it done. And he worked it to the point that, yeah, you're going to hear the gospel at the right time. And you're going to respond. That's the will in the will. That's the great work of God. You've got to go back and look at the will in the will. What Ezekiel saw, what Ezekiel saw was God working. (laughs) To me, it's this in my mind. He, in an ancient day, saw a modern tool. He saw a working that he couldn't quite explain. The best he could say is, as a wheel in a wheel. But when the voice of God moved, that wheel moved. See, God was working a plan from the beginning. Do you know he had you in mind when he sent Christ to the cross? Glory to God. See, who benefits when the thing that must be done gets done? We do. He's filling up his book with names. (laughs) And he's still working his plan. But how does he work it? He works his plan through faithful men. So understand, everybody doesn't have the same course. Your course might be, Jesse had a course. What do we know about Jesse? He raised David. That's a good course to have. Your course might be like Joseph. Joseph endured quite a few things. But you know, in the end of it, God was glorified. His family was saved. I want you to understand. The reason I say this is because we get this mentality that the course has to be a course where, where I am put in the limelight. Where I'm put out there and everybody knows my name. Everybody recognizes me. I'm the big shot. I'm the shot caller. People think that they have to be in the pulpit behind a podium to work the course. No, 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 no. God has all kinds of things working. So don't get caught up. Well, it doesn't seem like it's that big a thing. If God calls you to do it, do it. And just like Paul, finish it. Give it your all. Perform it to your best. Now understand this. God doesn't necessarily need you to cooperate to get his work done. Do you understand me on that? By this I mean, when you resist God, God's not going to waste time on you. And when he doesn't waste time on you, you'll see somebody else rise up. And in the place you should have occupied. Don't get mad at them. Don't hate on them. God is just looking for... God's looking for those who will obey. Plain and simple. Turn back to 2 Timothy 
chapter 2, verse 13. This is our God. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. He has, in his mind, this gospel is going to be ministered, people are going to be redeemed, and you're not going to stand in his way. What we have is we have the privilege to be workers together with him. And he's not going to be bent out of shape if you refuse to work with him. But he is going to get his work done. Amen. I'm telling you right now, it's sad, but there are too many cases of people watching others doing the work they should have done. Do not let that be you. Don't let it be you. See, because this is why we also have to understand when God, when our time is up, doesn't mean God is done. Because his work is bigger than us. His will is greater than us. So finishing my course does not mean it's the end of what God is doing. You being finished doesn't mean God is. Amen. All right. So to finish, you have to have something to do. And very quickly, let me say this. That's in God's sovereignty. That's in God's sovereignty. Don't look to man to tell you what to do. God will minister to you. Here's the one thing you can do. You can be faithful. Because God is the ruler who assigns according to your several ability. That's a biblical term, if you don't know. Several ability. Look it up. And that means he's going to give according to your level of faithfulness. So be faithful. Wherever you are, whatever it is you have to do, whatever it is you understand to do, be faithful there. Listen, I'm going to tell you, singing in the choir is not your course. Now, it may give room for you to work your course. But that in itself is not your course. Now, all you know to do is to sing in the choir. Sing, baby, sing. And do it all as unto the Lord and be faithful in it. Don't be up one day and down the next. Now, now, now listen, to, listen to me. It is an obstacle course, whether you know it or not. There will be good days and there will be bad days. Faithfulness endures no matter what the day is. Just be faithful there. And the simple things. I don't know, I don't know exactly what I need to do. Well, well, you have something to do. See, I'm going to go back to Acts chapter 6 right now. You can serve tables. We assigned you that assignment. Well, that's not my course. We'll serve tables faithfully, and maybe God will be able to assign to you according to your several ability. But you have to have a track record of faithfulness. God's not giving something to somebody who's not faithful. <laughs> Amen. And always remember, His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. So whatever He calls you to do, whatever you understand to do, do it. Be faithful in it. And when God does tell you to do something that seems like it's a little bit too much for you, His grace is still faithful. His grace is sufficient. He's faithful. So, having something to do, I can't tell you what it is to do. Don't look to man. Look to God for that. Now, after having something to do, you need to get started. Now, here's what I like about getting started. This, this, is, this is something I spend a lot of time on. Before you get started, you need to be prepared. There's pre-start. There's what do you call it, prep work. This is the prep work. You need to be prepared. Has God been ministering to us about being prepared? Has God been asking us the question, are you ready? In other words, have you prepared yourself? It's because we made this statement, and I want to make sure you understand this. Even before you know what it is to do, you can be prepared. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. You know, there's athletics out there. And, you know, we have children who are part of sports teams. And they assign practices before they even know their schedule. They don't know how many games they're going to play, who they'll be able to play, but they know we need to practice. So even before you have the knowledge of what your course is, prepare. 
How do you prepare? Number one, you need to settle the issues. You need to settle them. What I mean by settling the issues, you, what I mean is that if you've got issues in the way between you and advancing with God, you need to settle those things. You need to clear that way. You need to get rid of the weights. Have you heard that? Let's lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Clearing and getting rid of the weights is a must. I don't know what to do. You know you can get rid of the weights. That's part of the preparation. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. What is a weight? A weight is anything, anyone, any relationship, any attitude, any endeavor that's unnecessary. And that prevents you from going forward with God. Did you catch that? It can be an attitude. It can be a character trait. It can be something you're looking forward to doing that you don't even have in your possession right now. It could be a possession. It could be a relationship. But I want to make sure you understand this. See, because you, you need to self-assess some things. You need to be able to identify the weights in your life. And you need to be able to put those weights out of the way. But I want to make sure you understand this. I'm going to piggyback this off of what was said this morning during family life class. <sighs> Calm down. You might be a parent who has a child that's hard-headed and stubborn and makes life difficult for you. And you might be spending your time trying to get them right. That's not a weight. That's called a responsibility. You, you, you see, you make the choice and you eat the fruit of your choice. You have the child. That is your responsibility. Listen to this. You might have a spouse <laughs> who doesn't do things the way you like them to do it. And here, here it is. Well, they want me to cook for them all the time. You know, that's not a way. That marriage is not a way. Don't put away your spouse. That's called a responsibility. You take care of your responsibilities and you put aside your weights. Now, now I want to make sure that this is balanced. If you and your spouse are in fisticuffs, that's not marriage. So, so don't, don't get me wrong. That's not marriage. And I, I want to advise you, you need to physically separate. Yeah, here we go. Oh, what are they preaching there? We're preaching you not getting your head bashed in. And while you're separated, you know what you do? You let God work on you. Now, and I'm going to say this as well. You got a spouse who can't sleep in their own bed. You know what I mean by that? Refuse to be faithful. That's not marriage. There's a separation that's needed there too. But that doesn't change. That, that it's still God's institution. And you've got to seek him for the wisdom of how to deal with that thing. Because what you're living right now is not the married life. But outside of that, don't put away your spouse. Eh, I'll never forget this. I can't remember who said it. But I'll never forget. They said, don't be a granola Christian. Say granola is made up of chips, nuts, and flakes. Don't be a flaky Christian. Don't be a nutty Christian. My husband is weighing me down. We need to know. That's your responsibility. Identify the weights and get rid of them and take care of your responsibility. Now listen, listen to this. If you commit a crime and there are consequences to that crime, those consequences are not a weight. That is your responsibility. God is not freeing you from those consequences. Let me get back on this. So we need to settle the issues. We need to clear the way that we might advance with God. There's something in the way. Something unnecessary. That's why you're not being able to hear him clearly. And in preparation, I'm going to get rid of those things. I'm going to get rid of those weights. Look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I need to keep moving. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I like this scripture. Because this reveals to us God. Now, when we talk about settling some things, a lot of the things that we need to settle are relationship issues. Hallelujah. 
Glory to your name. Speak, God, speak. First Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1. This is after Saul, King Saul had just done enough. God was through with him. But Samuel the prophet, you know, this is really the heart of a pastor. Samuel the prophet is like, man, I wanted, I wanted Saul to get it. And, and so Samuel is caught up in this fog about Saul. But God says, I got a word for you. Verse number one says, and the Lord said unto Samuel, here's your word. How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? <laughs> Can you imagine God? You know, God talks to you this way. How long? You know, uh, you know, he's looking at his watch. How long? Okay. It's been, it's been long enough now. The Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. I got other things that must be done and I'm not spending my time on somebody who's not going to be faithful. Why are you crying over somebody I rejected? Shout hallelujah. Now that's preaching stuff right there. God's like, I reject it. Here I am. See, here's the point about settling the issues. Stop spending energy on stuff that you don't need to spend energy on. Stop spending mental energy on things you don't need to be mindful of. Stop going after those things that God doesn't want you to have. Listen. Let me finish this scripture. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, see, because he's on the course. The Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. See, his course was to provide and raise a son that was worthy to be a king who had God's heart. And so Samuel... I don't need you caught up worrying about Saul because you've got a course and this course is a thing that must be done. I don't have time for you to wallow about what's not going to change. Here's what I mean. We have to accept that the way things are might just be the way they will always be. And it won't get any better. Amen. Now, here's a word for your responsibility. You might just have to accept that as much preaching as you do, your child is not going to change. How long will you mourn? Here it is. Your spouse may never be the perfect image of what you wanted in a spouse. How long are you going to mourn? How much energy, how much effort are you going to put into this endeavor that may not go any further? Well, I got my eye on you and I got a course for you to work. The thing that must be done. Do you understand that? Do you see that now? Not that God doesn't care for Saul. Not that God doesn't care for your child. Not that God doesn't care for your spouse. Again, there's a will and a will. God is working some other things and you mourning is not helping that will turn. You dwelling there and staying, that's not helping the will turn. And we use this term, or at least I use this word. I use the word, some things we need to divest. I had a conversation with somebody here recently at work, and we were talking about something totally different, not spiritual at all. Uh, but they mentioned something that, that just resonated with me, and that reminded me of this. And, and they mentioned that they had a family member who wanted to, wanted to get involved with what they saw was a losing endeavor. It's a financial thing. They got involved with it anyway. And then sure enough, as they were counsel, they got what was coming to them and they wanted to turn it around and somehow make it profitable when it wasn't going to be profitable. At that point, the new counsel was, you need to divest. You need to let go. You're trying to make this thing profitable. You're going to try to put all the energy in trying to somehow make it profitable when it just won't be. You need to cut your losses. You need to count it as loss and go on. Because the more you put into this losing endeavor, the more you waste. And the first thing we have to, we have to do our best in our mind, in our heart, our heart has to let go of it. It just has to let go of it. You, you know how houses get cluttered? 
Because our heart won't let go. Our heart just won't let go. You know, but the, the first day it rained when we were in this house, this is what we used to shelter us. You know, your, your heart needs to let it go. Your heart needs to let it go. You know, we, we, haven't, we haven't used that number. It got holes in it. And you want to keep a hold of that? No, you need to let it go. Because if your heart still holds on to it, you will refuse to let it go. You will refuse to cut your losses. <laughs> you know, we, we have, my wife may not like me saying this, but we have a couch, right? And the couch is broken, right? And, and, and I want to get rid of it. I really do. It's broken. Get rid of it. I, I, let's not keep it. But, you know, she found somebody who can fix it. You know, but, but my heart is not tied to that sofa. Let it go. See, I'm willing to divest. But if we spent all that money on that, divest. It's no longer profitable. It's not going to gain me anything. Some things we need to let go. And that's what we need to do in our lives. Some things we're trying to, if I can just make him act right. You know, cut your losses. Oh, hallelujah. If I could just get them to love me. You're not even married. You spend all your energy, all your effort in there trying to make them love you. I mean, in, in today's society, in our social media society, you want to get so many likes and you spend so much energy trying to do things right in such a way. You know, stop worrying about this. See, this is settling some issues. See, any attitude. See, attitude is I want to be liked. And I want you to understand this. You know, this thing just keeps, I haven't said it, but it keeps, I keep hearing it over and over again. Righteousness offends. If you live righteously, somebody's not going to like what you say. Somebody's not going to like how you dress. Somebody's not going to like your attitude. Somebody's not going to like the word or the, uh, or the ministry you go to. Just settle it. I'm going to be righteous whether you like me or not. See, that's preparation. And some people, you know, we, we try to please them so much, it's a lost endeavor. Divest. Look at this in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Okay, I may not get to the new information today. Philippians chapter 3, but you're going to hear God. Philippians chapter 3. I said Paul is our example. Philippians chapter 3, many of you are familiar with this passage of scripture. Let's look at in light of finishing. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 3, for we are the circumcision. And I want you to understand when he says we are the circumcision, he's speaking from a prideful standpoint. He uses that term, see, because in, in the Jewish society, you know, there was a circumcised and there was an uncircumcised. And circumcision was the token that they had received a covenant with God. So he's, he, so he's speaking somewhat boastfully. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man think that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He says, I got a bigger resume than you do. I got more going for me than you do when it comes to the natural. Verse 5, circumcised, not only in the spirit, but in the flesh. And on the eighth day, according to the commandment of God. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. See, see, I am an Israel by birth, Israelite by birth. I am Jewish by birth. I didn't believe my way in. I am born that way. Of the tribe of Benjamin, I know where I come from. Hallelujah. You know how some people like to, to say, my, my, my family was on Plymouth Rock. See, that's what he's saying there now. I can trace my ancestry. I, I'm an original. And Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisees. Pharisees prided themselves in knowing the law and following the law. Concerning zeal, nobody had more zeal than I did. Persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law. Blameless. But what things I had invested in, what things I allowed to define me, what things that were gained to me, those I divested, those I counted loss. I had to make a self-assessment and I saw that these were weights. 
preventing me from moving forward with God. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. See, see his heart, his heart is now belonging to Christ, not those things that he's leaving behind. I count all these things but dung, that I may win Christ. Made up his mind, he can live without all those things because he'd rather have Christ. See, he was prepared. See, he had settled those issues so that he could move forward. And then the next part of preparation, after settling the issues, I say take aim. What do I mean by take aim? (laughs) It's time. Ooh, boy, how do I go this? Well, if you've been having marital issues, here I go. I just got to go here. All right. Y'all bear with me. When you've been having marital issues and you and your spouse have said, you know what? We don't want to continue this way. We, we, we don't want to continue this. This is no way for us to live. This is not what we signed up for. This is not what we imagined. Let's get it right. Now it's time to take aim. Now it's time to, well, you don't do wine, but something like wine and dine. Now it's time for dates. Now it's time for playful banter. Now it's time for love notes. See, now you're taking aim. See, I'm, I'm no longer looking at the co-worker. Hallelujah. What, what, what? I, I, can't, I, I should hear all around rock say amen on that one. See, see now I'm setting my focus on you. See, because I'm falling out of love with others, and I'm falling back in love with you. See, you are now my focus. See, see, now, see now that I've cleared the way, now that we understand that, that we're going to make this work, uh, no, no, now we're going to take aim one at another. What do you like me to wear? I'm going to wear it. How do you like me to smell? I'm going to smell that way. When do you want me home? I'll be home at that time. You just want me to call every now and then? I'll call every now and then. When do you want me to call? Oh, I'll just surprise you. See, that's taking aim. See, see, now, now, I, I want to say this. Too many of you that say you love Christ, that say you love His appearing, aren't taking aim. Anytime you miss a service for no good reason. I know I lost some amens on that one, but that's okay. I count it all lost for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, see but, but, but you, for whatever reason, I got to wash. Come on now. I need a break. Come on now. You're not taking aim. You say you love him. Oh, here we go. You're not serious. You're not serious at all. You're playing games. (laughs) You're playing games. And I don't know who you think you're fooling. You can say what you want, but he knows those that are his. He knows those that are his. He knows those that love him. And he knows those that... (sighs) You know what? I just don't find him saying, well, you, you don't love me, but you don't hate me. I don't find him saying that. I find him saying, you either love me or you hate me. And those are strong words. But either you love them, or in his mind you hate them. See, because someone coming before him means you don't love them. In other words, when I say take aim, Jesus has to become the light of your life. I'm telling you, people don't understand. This this is why, why are you always at service? I'm taking aim. It's not even about you. It's about me and God. See, I have fallen in love and I don't want to fall out of love. Some of you need to learn that. Here we go again. Here we go again. Some some of you need to learn that. You on purpose have to keep that person the apple of your eye. Some people slack off. Oh, they married to me. They they gotta love me. I'm not doing my hair. I'm not getting a haircut. I'm not dressing up. I ain't taking a bath. And then you wonder why somebody's eye is wandering. <laughs> Amen. You know, it's not just about looks either. Sometimes the nagging can get to somebody. I'm sorry. We're not. We're, it's not family life class, is it? 
I'm sorry, Mr. Since I, I guess you, you're just so strong and it just keeps going. <laughs> no, but in preparation, you've got to take aim. Because here's the thing. This is us setting our affection. Look at this in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I love this scripture. Again, this is one of those things that I don't often... I don't know if I ever hear it ministered, but, but to me it, it speaks volumes. Luke chapter 11. See, see, we get to set our affections here. See, when we set our affections, we fall out of the love that the, of the things that we left off, and we fall in love with Him who is to be loved. Luke chapter 11, verse 24. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, that unclean spirit walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. <laughs> I'm going to go back to them. They're not serious. And when he cometh, because they weren't serious, he findeth it swept and garnished. It's like, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Here it is, I got rid of you. But I haven't done anything different. So now I just have a better space for you to occupy. So when that evil spirit, that unclean spirit comes back to where he left, he finds it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Do you hear this? See, because the thing is, once we... This is why I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. When I say clear the way, you're clearing it so that he can occupy it. Because if you clear the way and you don't fill it up with Jesus, you end up with the cycles of life. How am I back to this again? I thought I was, I thought I was over this. I thought I'd come out of this. Well, you didn't take aim. You didn't set your affection. And now you wonder why you got back in a worse state than the state that you thought you left. The principle is do not leave a wrong position without then getting busy giving yourself to the proper position. That's the principle. See, because this is what we need to understand. Once we put off the old man, we're not done. Now it's time to put on the new man. See, once we've fleeing, once we've left unrighteousness, it's time to put on righteousness. That is what we're, see, this is sanctification. This is sanctification, said in another way. This is sanctification. Once you have been cleaned, now it's time to fill up that clean space with that which endures. And it's found in Christ. See, that's once you are saved, you need to be a member of a Bible believer, Bible teaching ministry that promotes Christ. So you can find out who He is. And the more you know about Him, the more you will love Him. The more wonderful He will become in your eyes, in your understanding. The more beautiful His thoughts are towards you. And the more desirable He becomes to you. That's when you find out He first loved you. And when you find out that he loved you in the state where you were in, it's hard not to love him in return. And then what happens is when you find out how much he loves you, see, see again, here we go back to marriage. See, see, once the spouse recognizes that your love is real, oh, what they won't do for you. What lengths they won't go for you. So once you find out how much he loves you, oh, you will be obedient. You'll be a joyful Doer of the word and not a hearer only. So preparation is settling the issues, getting rid of the weights. Preparation is taking aim, setting your affection. Preparation includes getting instructions. I'm trying to teach you how to be finishers. Prep work. Prep work includes getting instructions. And without instructions, the best you can be is a poor imitation. 
The term on the street is a knockoff. Listen to me. Again, as it pertains to people and what they call their ministry, we've got too many knockoffs. Too many imitators. People doing without instructions, and they're just trying to imitate and emulate. Some of you might remember, emulate means that I want to be as successful as somebody. Imitate means that, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to copy them. We saw the sons of Sceva. They saw great and wonderful works being done by God through Paul. And they wanted to go and do the exact same. They, they wanted to be as successful as Paul was. And they didn't know what to do. So they just imitated what they could. Repeated what somebody else said. And got their butts beat. Because they were knockoffs. You don't want to be a knockoff. You want to wait for instructions. In all honesty, you don't even have to wait. Not in this ministry. We get instructions all the time. We get instructions all the time. Just follow the instructions. And understand this. What you have is you have someone God has placed in your life as an instructor. Follow their counsel. That's it. Just follow their counsel. You know, we're talking about Paul. Paul is our example. And he has, he's written two letters to Timothy. And you know what he tells Timothy? He gives him direction. He says, don't be ashamed of me. He says, be an example. He says, rebuke. He says, entreat. He says, teach. All throughout 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, all he's doing is giving them instructions. And make sure you understand this about instructions. You're not so seasoned that you can live without instructions. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. We all need instructors. And somebody might sit up here and say, God is my teacher. Okay, okay, I'll give you the God teaches. But how does he teach? Do we not know the scripture? God has given us pastors according to his own heart to feed us with knowledge, with understanding. That's how we get it. Do we not understand that? Do we not understand when it says in Ephesians, he has given some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. How do we hear from God? God does speak to us, but he speaks to us through instructors. Paul even tells Timothy, the same thing that you receive from me, find faithful men out there, that they can teach others. Why? Because we always need instructors. So never think you're so seasoned. You know it all. And don't you dare think that you sit at home, not under the covering of a ministry, and God is teaching you. Someone is teaching you. But God teaches according to his order. We don't have time to go there, but, but Paul, once, Paul had a, a great calling. If anybody had a great calling, he had a great calling. Jesus interrupted him. He said, it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it, Paul? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Oh, my goodness. So, so, but the thing was that after he heard this heavenly calling, you know what Jesus told him he wanted him to do? I prepared a man for you. You need an instructor. You don't know enough to go forward without being instructed. And let, let, I want to say this. Turn to Romans chapter 10. I've got to look at this real quick. Romans chapter 10. You know, this is going to be the last scripture before we get into the new information. So turn to Romans chapter 10. I want to say this to you who are so energized. And you ought to be energized. Enough, and I love your energy. I love it. I love your, your desire to, to get up and go and, and put your hands on stuff. But remember, you've got to get instructions first. And I want to make sure you understand that, that us telling you to get instructions, we're, we're, not trying to, we're not trying to throw a wet blanket over you. We just want to make sure that that zeal combined with knowledge is effective. Lest in your zeal you go and hurt others. Romans chapter 10. 
Let's look at the first three verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You hear them? I've got a heart for these people. They've got a zeal, but they don't have knowledge. Verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, they have a zeal, but they won't wait and hear from God about where that zeal needs to be directed. Because go back to seven issues. They've got energy, but they're spending their energy on the wrong things. They're putting their effort to the wrong things. Look at this in verse 21. This is what happens. This, this is the testimony of those who have zeal but no knowledge. But to Israel he said, These are the people who have a zeal without knowledge. All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. They're busy, but they won't listen to me. You don't want that said about you. See, zeal is not a weakness. But without knowledge, your zeal can be troubled. And we don't want you to lose that zeal. Don't think that at all. With that zeal, receive. That zeal ought to be there to receive instruction. You know, we, we had a, a Men of Integrity Fellowship on this past Friday. And you know, one of the brothers blessed me. He really did bless me because I heard him. You know, and he, he was coming up with some questions. And, and then some of the brothers were saying some things to him. And he said, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for that. See, that zeal is now directed toward, I'm going to receive what God has for me. See, because now if I can just get you with that zeal to receive what God has for you, oh, what heights you can reach. What things you can do. Now, let's talk. That's the end of the prep work. That's the end of the prep work. Now let's talk about getting started. And we'll do that next week. Because I'm out of time. But I think we got to a point now where we're up to speed. And we can start moving forward from here on out. But the idea is that we're going to be finishers. We're going to put our efforts with instructions to the thing that must be done. And if we don't know what thing must be done, we're, I'm going to show you how you can get, still get started. <laughs> Amen? You can still get started. Let's stand to our feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.